Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's the second round of the playoffs. KD and the Suns versus the Nuggets, 76ers Celtics, Heat Knicks, and of course the Lakers Warriors LeBron versus Steph rivalry. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, with the link in the description to this episode, and pick up a 50% welcome bonus on all of your bets during the NBA playoffs. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. That's the whole point of podcasts. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you might be listening. We are going to talk about the NBA playoffs today. Blake Jude will join us later on this week. There's just a lot going on in my life with the Sacramento Kings' wild and wacky playoff run over the past four days, and so that has consumed a lot of my time. We will have Blake Jude join us to talk NFL draft later this week. Today, let's talk about the NBA playoffs. A lot has happened in the last four days since we broke down the NBA playoffs, and the big one that we're going to talk about later on is the Milwaukee Bucks losing in the first round to the Miami Heat. And We'll have a lot of time to talk about Miami and the Knicks. I know New York lost game one despite the fact that they were playing really well and getting in the paint to start the game. Just the Knicks couldn't hit shots at the end of game one. That was kind of their downfall. Obi Toppin had a couple big ones. Maybe if Randall had played, the shots would have came a little bit better, but uh, Josh Hart had nothing. Jalen Brunson missed a bunch of mid-range shots that were his bread and butter against the Cavs. So like I said, we'll have more time to talk about the Heat and the Knicks. As that series continues, we'll have more time to talk about the 76ers Celtics with Morgan from Australia. We'll talk about the rest of the NBA playoffs and the teams that are moving forward. Uh, Today, I kind of want to focus in on the teams that have gotten bounced. And I'm going to start with the Sacramento Kings and the Game 7 between them and the Golden State Warriors because that was such an emotional roller coaster. Not really because I feel deeply invested in the Sacramento Kings' success, I, this is my first year living in Sacramento. I've lived in Northern California for as long as we've been doing this podcast, but this is my first year living in Sacramento and my first full year working in sports. And I just didn't want the Sacramento Kings run to end. I just wanted to keep this going for 10 more days. I mean, it's been an incredibly happy time following this Sacramento Kings run. There's been a lot of healing and positivity that's come from the Sacramento Kings run, getting to be a part of it as the producer on radio for the Kings. I mean, it just feels like there's so much good that has gone into this season and so much happiness that I just wanted to keep it going for 10 more days. And man, the Sacramento Kings had so many chances to win the series. They, I said they would win in five and a half or six games and that pace was looking great. Uh, the Harrison Barnes three-pointer at the end of game four, coulda, shoulda, woulda, got them over the hump. It didn't, and obviously now the Golden State Warriors are advancing to the second round against the Lakers. And my prophecy of the top four teams in the West would be the four teams that advanced turned out to be uh, quite incorrect because Memphis lost and Sacramento lost, which were 
the two big ones in figuring out the top four teams would advance. And so Memphis, they didn't really have it against the Lakers. And look, the Lakers, the second half of the season, have been one of the six best teams in the NBA in efficiency rating. They've been great post-trading deadline. And look, it's been tough to kind of pin down the Lakers the last two seasons. But Memphis didn't really have much at the end. Like, it was a six-game series, but they got the break speed off of them in three of those four games. So there was not really much there. And from the Sacramento standpoint, man, that's a series they should have won. It feels like they should have won, and it just really feels like I should be still doing Sacramento Kings basketball come Tuesday, and it's not there anymore. On the flip side, I I do want to talk about this Game 7 because, man, Steph Curry swiped the soul of Sacramento. Like, I have been around sports moments where it's felt like that. Even in the finals last year, Game 4 between Boston and Golden State felt a little bit like that. Steph Curry just palpably swiped the soul of that building. On Sacramento's home floor, Steph Curry put up the greatest scoring performance in the history of Game 7s in all of NBA history broke the record for most game for most points in a game 7 in the history of the NBA. I didn't realize the previous record was Kevin Durant in that overtime game against Met, uh, Milwaukee 2 years ago when he stepped on the line to either give himself 45 or 44. I don't remember what the number was, but he stepped on the line at the end of regulation. Not only did Steph put up 50, Steph put up 50 and didn't score in the last 5 minutes of that game. Like, Steph could have gone for 55. If the Kings had kept it closer, he could have gone for 60. I mean, it was incredible to watch Steph Curry bombs away beat the Sacramento Kings. And he didn't shoot particularly impressively. Like, in addition to breaking the record for most points in a playoff game, Steph also took 38 shots, which was the most he's taken in any basketball game, period, in his career. So, like, granted, it wasn't like, oh, he's just bombing one, two, three after the other. Like, Steph shot, I'm doing the quick math in my head, Steph shot 32% from three-point. No, that can't be right. He shot 37% from three-point, which is incredible. It's just below Steph Curry's average. Steph Curry ended up shooting over 50% from the field, which was a big deal for him, but, like, Steph Curry at the end of that game was swiping the soul of Sacramento because in the second half, the Kings just had nothing to come back at Sacramento with. They went one for 18 from the field, and even if Steph doesn't put up 50, it was it was a palpable moment where it felt like, wow, there is... I mean, I felt it, and I wasn't even at the arena. I was in the studio hearing everything at the arena. Like It was palpable that he took that arena. He took my heart a little bit. Not because I was like deeply invested in the Kings' success. I just really, really wanted to keep this season going. And I just, seeing Steph Curry swipe it was incredible. And then at the end, hearing that he talked shit and said, light the beam as he was yelling as the starters were getting checked out of the game with two and a half minutes to go. As he was yelling, light the beam. As he was yelling at the uh, the Warriors bench and dapping everyone up. Man, it was so cool to see Steph Curry just be a a bit of a villain because Steph Curry I I don't even know villain is the right word Steph Curry being a badass is something that I kind of enjoyed on the way out like yeah it hurt and yeah he took the soul of that building in on Sacramento's home court breaking the record for most points in a playoff game yeah that part like hurt and I'm sad that the season's over on the flip side Man, I couldn't la- I couldn't help but laugh at Steph Curry antics and Steph Curry yelling like the beam at Sacramento. Like, oh man, like the the taunting of Sacramento at the end is something where I'm just like gamesmanship all the way through and through. Like, yeah, I hope that he yelled like the beam. I hope that he yelled at Sacramento like that. Not for like the oh they're gonna put a chip on the shoulder or whatever. Nah, man, gamesmanship. Steph Curry's one of the greatest. Uh, he's the greatest point guard in NBA history. Draymond Green was talking about him as the greatest player of all time. Like, man, Steph Curry, gamesmanship to swipe the soul of Sacramento. First playoff series in 17 years. First game seven 
in Sacramento since the 2002 Lakers-Kings famous refs stole the game from a series. Steph Curry swiped the heart of the building with with a record-setting 50 points, and they took him out with four minutes to play. Just amazing. The Kings were winning at halftime, and the, the Warriors had... 20-something rebound advantage over the the Sacramento Kings. They had 13 offensive rebounds in nine minutes, which is incredible. And it wasn't like there was one possession where they got four on one possession, but it was every possession they were getting at least one. Sometimes they were getting two. Every shot wasn't falling for the Kings, and every shot that didn't fall for the Kings. The Warriors didn't have a great shooting game. They just got... 10 more shots than the Kings and if you give them 10 more shots and they make four of them that's a 10 point difference right there and then you can make up the rest of the 20 or that was a 20 point victory you can make up the rest of those 10 points by the one for 18 shooting game from the Kings and Steph Curry putting up 50 like the Warriors offense flew through Steph Curry I think the downfall of the Warriors if they lose in the next round or if they lose in the conference finals is that they just have no bench like at the at when push came to shove there was only five people on the floor for the warriors it was Steph Clay Draymond Kevon Looney and Wiggins they didn't even trust Poole at the end of the game Poole sat on the bench until they brought the garbage time guys in like the second half of the game it was the same lineup for for Golden State over and over again and they they have no depth at this point they are incredibly Steph Curry reliant and we saw why the the Sacramento Kings were a better team than the Golden State Warriors. And yet it didn't matter, not just because the Kings shot themselves out of the Game 5 and the Game 7, it, or, and Game 3. The Kings got held to under 100 points in Game 3. It's not just the Kings shot themselves out of a lot of these games, although that does make a difference. It was Steph Curry going in saying, offense runs through Steph, shooting runs through Steph, and not just like in the standard way of like, oh, of course the Warriors offense runs through Steph. No, no, like Steph Curry as the shooter, more than any game in his career, not regular season, postseason, 38 shots was the record for Steph Curry shots in a game in his entire career. So for Steph Curry to break that record in that game seven, to drop 50, to beat the Sacramento Kings was remarkable and it was what the Warriors had to do in order to win in addition to 13 offensive rebounds in nine minutes to start the second half a plus 20 rebound advantage and the Sacramento Kings shooting one for 18 to start the second half from the three-point line you put all of that together that's why the Warriors won by 20 if you talk about why the Warriors won the game outright Steph fucking Curry and the gamesmanship of Steph Curry to drop that on Sacramento and yell light the beam couldn't help but laugh couldn't help but tip my cap and laugh at that because god I love that I love that stuff so much I love that Steph so much but I also love I love the gamesmanship of him taunting Sacramento I love that part of it and I'm here in Sacramento like I I love sports too much to get sucked up into the petty contrivances of all this stuff like I really don't care I want the anarchy and Steph being an anarchist to Sacramento and the Warriors claiming that Sacramento is their own. Hey, man, good good for Golden State that they got that and good for Steph Curry for taunting Sacramento on the way out the door. Good for him. Good for Draymond. Good for all of them taunting the Kings on the way out because Steph Curry swiped the soul of that building in that game, dropped 50 on Sacramento's home court in a game seven to set the all-time record gamesmanship checkmate steph curry all right so let's talk about the miami heat and the milwaukee bucks because the last time we were on the take it easy podcast talking about basketball it was wednesday of last week And I said, despite Jimmy Butler's 56-point game feeling like an experience, that Game 5 on Wednesday would go to the Bucs. 
Game six would be a toss up between the Bucks and the Heat. And then Game 7 would be on Sunday, and we could react to said Game 7 on an NBA Monday. And then the the Miami Heat won Game 5. They didn't just win Game 5. They won Game 5 in one of the most amazing comebacks in years in the NBA playoff. Not only was it a 16-point fourth quarter comeback, after in Game 4 they were down 12 points with 6 minutes to play, and came back to win. They came back from 16 down in the fourth quarter and came back from down four points with 10 seconds left. They took Giannis out of the game because Bam went out of the game. Jimmy caught a lob over Javon Carter and, and tied the game miraculously. Had 40 plus points again. I think it was 42 for Jimmy Butler in regulation, finished the game with 45. Jimmy Butler was otherworldly. And in fact, you could make the statistical case, Jimmy Butler just had one of the greatest playoff series in NBA history. Start off with averaging 37.6 points over five games. In the history of the NBA, the only players to average 37.5 points in a playoff series are Elgin Baylor, Bill Russell and Michael Jordan. So you can start from that point. Nobody in the modern era has scored more than 37 points for a five game or for a five game or more playoff series. You could extend that out further that Jimmy Butler shot 60% from the field and 45% from three point range and had an efficiency rating of 33.5. For those who don't know, there has not been an efficiency rating of 33.5 in the NBA playoffs. Since LeBron James 12 years ago. And the closest comparison I got in rebuttal to saying this might be one of the greatest playoff series of all times is the Giannis Antetokounmpo 2021 NBA Finals, which is widely regarded as the greatest playoff performance we have seen. Also, by the way, 60% shooting from the field and averaging over 30 points a game in the playoffs it is Shaq, it is Giannis, and it is Jimmy Butler. That is your number. And Shaq and Giannis play a very different game than Jimmy Butler plays. Because Jimmy Butler shot 50, 60% from the field, 45% from three-point range. For reference, when Shaquille O'Neal put up 30 points per game in the finals and a 60% shooting percentage, which was the 2000 NBA Finals. He never took a three-point shot. Giannis Antetokounmpo in the 2021 NBA Finals, 61% from the field, 35 points per game. Giannis shot 20% from the three-point line. Jimmy Butler put up numbers equivalent to Bill Russell, Shaq, and Giannis Antetokounmpo while shooting like Clay Thompson. I cannot emphasize just how ridiculous this series was for Jimmy Butler. There is a statistical case that this was the greatest playoff series, uh, one of the greatest playoff series of all time. There's no way to know what the definitive number one is. A lot of them are close. Michael Jordan averaged 40 points a game five times in a series. One of the greatest playoff performances of all time. If we compare this Jimmy Butler series to the Giannis Antetokounmpo NBA Finals performance, just based on statistics, I understand the stakes, I understand the the storylines matter a lot more with Giannis doing this in the NBA Finals. If we just strip all of the storyline, all of the narrative, just put raw statistics up, remove the stakes, remove the storylines, which is boring, blah, 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 nobody likes a nerd. If we look at just pure numbers... Giannis Antetokounmpo's NBA Finals performance in 2021 was 35 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, and put together an efficiency rating of 32. A 30 efficiency rating. Jimmy Butler put up 37.5 points, 6 rebounds, and Jimmy Butler had an efficiency rating of 33.8 Giannis shot 61%, Jimmy Butler shot 60%, basically even. 
Jimmy Butler shot 45% from three. Giannis shot 20% from three-point range. Jimmy Butler scored more points than Giannis. Jimmy Butler had less rebounds, less assists. He also had the same shooting percentage from the field of Giannis, who has an incredibly high shooting percentage because he gets to the rim easier than anyone in the sport since Shaq. Giannis and Jimmy, same shooting percentage. Jimmy shot 45% from three-point. Giannis shot 20%. Jimmy Butler put up numbers equal to Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Shaq, and Giannis, and LeBron James in a playoff series to carry the eight-seeded Miami Heat over the Milwaukee Bucks. And look, the Milwaukee Bucks didn't have Giannis for basically three games. If Giannis had played that entire series, I think it ends the same way. Because if you followed game one of the Bucks Heat series, we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. The first game of the Bucks Heat series, the Heat were probably going to win no matter what. They had their best shooting percentage game from the field, and the Bucks shot like 30% from the field. That game was a blowout. I think even if Giannis plays, Miami wins that game. And not because of anything Giannis can do, just the Bucks were so atrocious shooting from the field. And Miami had Kevin Love burying four three-pointers, and they won the game with ease. Game two, the Bucks win. Game three, in Miami, without Giannis, Miami won by 23 points. I don't know if Giannis makes a 23-point difference in the game. Maybe he does. I don't know if Giannis makes a 23-point difference in the game. That's just the only game of the series I can point to and say that's a result that would flip from being against the Bucks to going in favor of the Bucks, And I don't even think Giannis would have saved them by, from losing by 23. So it, by that calculation, there is no game I can point to and say that result would flip in favor of the Milwaukee Bucks. And then the Milwaukee Bucks came out in Game 4 with Giannis, blew a 12-point fourth-quarter lead in Game 5 with Giannis, blew a 16-point fourth-quarter lead at home, and blew a 4-point lead against the Heat with 10 seconds left to play. Miss me, I mean, I, I've joked for years I would have tossed Mike Budenholzer off the bus during the championship trophy celebration. It turns out winning a championship buys you about two seasons. Ty Lue got fired after two seasons with Cleveland. Budenholzer's about to get fired after two seasons. Uh, Frank Vogel got two seasons as head coach of the Lakers after winning the championship. Winning a championship buys you two years as a head coach, and Budenholzer's two years are up. It ends with a spectacular upset that is the equivalent of the Dallas Mavericks' number one seed losing to the We Believe Warriors in 2007. An upset for a generation is going to be what gets Mike Budenholzer fired, because winning a championship bought him two years. Those two years are up. He's out of here. Now that we've finished talking about why Jimmy Butler might have just had one of the greatest playoff series of all time, I do want to talk about the Bucks. Because back on Wednesday, I wanted to refrain from doing the Buck eulogy because it didn't feel like the series was over. And now that it's over in emphatic fashion for Milwaukee with a five-game series defeat, blowing 12- and 16-point leads, losing a series that even if Giannis had been healthy for all five games, they probably would have lost. And probably lost in five games. Now that the embarrassing loss... I know everyone was talking about, like, is this season a failure? Is this not a failure for the Bucks? I think disappointment's the better word you can put to it. Because failure kind of connotates, like, personal failure. And, like, makes it about the people. I think disappointment is a better explanation for it. Because classifying Giannis as a failure, classifying Middleton as a failure, or Budenholzer or that organization as a failure is, is silly. I think they're disappointed, and they should be disappointed, and probably do feel disappointed even a week later after getting eliminated. I think that's a better way to do the calculation on it than saying it was a failure. And what I wanted to talk about from the Bucks' standpoint is the Bucks are in their fifth season as presently constructed. I'm not talking about like fifth season of Giannis and Middleton play. Like as the roster is presently constructed, this is their fifth season of being competitive. 
It took them years to not only see through Giannis's development, have Chris Middleton go from being a G League player to a seventh guy on the bench, to then getting the long-term extension and developing into a guy who's a go-to shot maker at the end of games in his 30s. Like We talk a lot about the development of Giannis Antetokounmpo. The development of Chris Middleton is also something that took a long time. It was a unique process. Those two players together took years and years to build up. I want to say in 2016, the Bucks had the worst record in the NBA for most of the season. I don't think the lottery went their way, but I think in 2016 they had one of the worst records in the NBA. And I bring this up to bring back to the point of once they went through all the development, once they went through all of the pains of figuring out the Jabari Parker situation, going from being bottom of the draft to developing Giannis to Chris Middleton coming together, trading for Eric Bledsoe after the whole I don't want to be here thing with the um, Phoenix Suns. They signed Greg Monroe. They drafted Malcolm Brogdon in the second round, and he developed into a rookie of the year as a second-round gem, and then they let him walk after three seasons in 2019. They went into win-now mode in 2019. It's been five seasons since Giannis won the MVP. Giannis Antetokounmpo's prime is coming to an end. His physical basketball prime is coming to an end, and the reason I bring this up is No NBA organization is designed to last this long and still be able to compete for championships. You you cannot compete this long without reinventing yourselves. Yes, they made the move, and there, there is one exception to this rule in the last 15 years, and it's the Golden State Warriors. But the Golden State Warriors are not the rule. The Golden State Warriors are the exception. And the reason the Golden State Warriors are exceptional is... Two main reasons that I'll bring up here. One, the Golden State Warriors drafted three Hall of Famers. Steph Curry in the first round, Klay Thompson in the first round a year later. Uh, One year later, Draymond Green was drafted in the second round. The Warriors drafted three Hall of Famers. And drafting three Hall of Famers guarantees you an opportunity to stay young for longer because of the way that rookie contracts are structured in the NBA because of how the first extension works and everyone signs the first extension. They drafted three Hall of Famers. And the second part is the Golden State Warriors' willingness to spend in the luxury tax. The Milwaukee Bucks have spent the luxury tax twice during this five-year run of success. Most organizations don't dip into the luxury tax in the way Golden State has, where they have to create a separate threshold of the luxury tax because Joe Lacob was willing to spend $100 million on James Wiseman based on luxury tax penalties. So the Warriors have stayed together because they drafted three Hall of Famers and the structures of the NBA support you drafting homegrown Hall of Famers and being able, and even a homegrown All-Stars and being able to support them. And... The Warriors have been willing to spend over the top to support those three All-Stars, even as they are no longer in their physical prime. Clay Thompson was, wasn't in his prime last year. Draymond Green has not been in his physical prime for about four seasons. As those guys have aged, they've been willing to spend to surround those guys. So the Warriors are the exception to this rule. You cannot last this long without reinventing yourselves. The physical primes of the basketball body just does not allow for it. And the Milwaukee Bucks are now in year five as presently constructed. And this would be the time where the embarrassing loss last year or this year would be when you start looking at what the next option is. For LeBron, the next option was Cleveland or Miami or the Lakers. For Kevin Durant, it was Oklahoma City, Golden State, uh, Brooklyn, and then Phoenix as he ages into his 30s. Like They made four different stops along the journey because... The organizations could not reinvent themselves, and as a result of the organizations not reinventing themselves, the team and the player ended up going their separate ways. James Harden with the Rockets. You cannot compete all in for longer than five seasons. I'll I'll use the James Harden example here because he's a very good comp to Giannis in terms of being the best player, second best player of his generation. 
James Harden and the Rockets made the conference finals in 2015. They had a bad season in 2016, and then by 2017, they were the number three seed in the Western Conference. In 2017, they made the conference finals. In 2018, they traded for Chris Paul. Two seasons of Chris Paul. One of them should have ended in a championship. They lose in Game 7 of the conference finals. Closer to winning a championship than any team of the last 15 years. Two, one year of getting to the win now mode. Two years of Chris Paul. One year of Russell Westbrook. And then four years it's over. They started going into win now mode four years and then it was over. It was, we're trading Russell Westbrook, James Harden's ready to leave, Daryl Morey's getting ready to jump ship, Mike D'Antoni's getting ready to jump ship. Four seasons, it was over. Because they didn't reinvent themselves, and when they tried to reinvent themselves, they cashed out on all their draft picks, they cashed out on all their cap space, and then it was time to blow it up. And everyone went their separate ways because it was a bad situation. They didn't reinvent themselves, and it all blew up. The Milwaukee Bucks are in a space where they are now in their fifth season of All-In. It has been five seasons since Giannis won the first MVP. If you remember after that season, they signed Chris Middleton to the long-term extension, which meant Malcolm Brogdon went to the Indiana Pacers because they didn't want to pay luxury tax. Then they got to the bubble year, lost, went All-In by trading four draft picks and Eric Bledsoe to acquire Drew Holiday, traded for Bobby Portis at the trade deadline, had to re-sign Bobby Portis because they couldn't let him leave for nothing. They had no other recourse to acquire players. They had Brooke Lopez from years ago sign as a free agent. They re-signed Brooke Lopez because, again, they had no recourse to sign other players. And so that core of the team has been together for now three full seasons and they have no recourse to change that team. They have not tried to reinvent themselves. They have not tried to make a significant change. They are the same team as 2021 and except for the one all-in trade that got rid of all their draft picks, they are the same team as 2019. It is Giannis, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, they traded for Bobby Portis, who replaced Nikola Miritich. Ironic that those two replaced each other because Bobby Portis broke Nikola Miritich's face back when they were playing together in Chicago. Miritich was that player in the, 2020, uh, the 2019 season. Portis was that guy in the 2021 season. And in the Times signed Bobby Portis to two contract extensions. They gave him a one-year contract with an option after the championship, and then last summer they signed him to a four-year, $48 million extension because they had no other way to get a Bobby Portis-type player. The Milwaukee Bucks have no draft picks left to spend. The Milwaukee Bucks have no players eager to jump on their team, and they can't add anybody because of the money they are spending on Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Drew Holiday. Those are their three key players. They have been the same three players for three seasons now. The team is unfortunately not good enough to win a championship, and there is no pressure on the Bucks to give up long-term assets further to make an upgrade from Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday. If we follow the cycle that we talked about with the Houston Rockets. So the Houston Rockets got James Harden. It took them years to develop him. And eventually they made it to win now mode in 2017. Yes, they made a conference final run in 2015. It, it was a 3-1 lead blown by the Clippers. They had no chance against the Warriors. I'm going to say 2017 is when the Rockets win now window began. With James Harden in his MVP prime. First year, lose to the Spurs. Trade Patrick Beverly and, and Lou Williams and some picks for Chris Paul. They make the big move to trade for Chris Paul. The same way the Bucks spent two seasons trying to win the championship and then traded first-round picks and pick swaps and Eric Bledsoe to acquire Drew Holiday. Rockets acquired Chris Paul using all of their, draft, their, their short-term draft picks. Two years trying to compete. 
get as close to a championship as any non-champion in NBA history. Milwaukee makes that move. They go get a championship out of that run. And they were a Kevin Durant foot away from not winning the championship. So the Houston Rockets, who were that close to winning a championship in 2018, by the graces of 0 for 28 from the three-point line, by the graces of Kevin Durant's foot going in favor of the Bucks, Milwaukee has a championship, the Houston Rockets do not. That's just a process results situation. We're not playing the results, we're following the process. Two seasons of competing with Chris Paul. Then they make the all-in move for Russell Westbrook. First season doesn't work out. In fact, it was a bit of an embarrassment in the bubble for the Rockets because Russell Westbrook hated being in Houston. They lost in the second round, but almost lost in the first round against Oklahoma City. They went to seven games against Oklahoma City and almost had an embarrassing first round exit. And by that point, it was over. And part of the reason why it was over was they had no further recourse to upgrade the roster. And James Harden was a lesser player than he was prior to 2020. He was a great player. He just was not an MVP caliber player. And James Harden was a little bit older than Giannis was at that point. Giannis also plays a style that has more wear and tear on the body than James Harden does. James Harden didn't take the greatest care of his body, but besides the point, this is the crossroad for the Milwaukee Bucks where they would make a roster upgrade. And this is the process that teams who go all-in follow because there's only so many ways to upgrade your roster in the NBA. The recourse all these teams follow is you spend all your money, then you spend all your draft picks, then you trade one of your best players to try and upgrade. I'll give you another example, the Toronto Raptors which is one that I've done book research on, so I know the story on this one. The Toronto Raptors traded for Kyle Lowry, signed DeMar DeRozan, traded their draft picks, and the Toronto Raptors ended up with 2016 made the conference finals, lost to LeBron. 2017 made the second round, lost to LeBron. 2018 had the number one record in the, Western, uh, in the Eastern Conference. 58 wins, franchise record for wins. Lost in the second round by sweep to LeBron. They trade. They they spent all their money extending DeRozan and Lowry after 2016. DeRozan got a max contract extension. Lowry got a max contract extension. Spent all their money to extend Lowry and DeRozan. Spent all their draft picks to upgrade the roster around Lowry and DeRozan. And then, by the time 2000. 18 rolled around. They had to trade DeRozan for Ka- for Kawhi Leonard. That was the last recourse that they had. And it turned into a championship. Non-Warriors teams, and by this going back years, non-Spurs teams, but we're just talking about the last 10 years. Once you start going all in, there's only so much of a window you have. And that window is the physical prime of your star player, your generational star in the case of Toronto, it wasn't quite a generational star, but they ended up getting a generational star in Kawhi at the end of it. In the case of the Houston Rockets, it's James Harden. In the case of Oklahoma City, it was Kevin Durant. And in the case of LeBron James, it was three. Uh, LeBron James had it four different times in his prime with Cleveland, in his prime with Miami, and then that last run with the the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cleveland Cavaliers, by the way, refused to give up the future in order to accommodate LeBron that last year in 2018. Because they had to try and upgrade from Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving was on his way out and he left early. So you could point to that Cleveland run. Every non-Warriors run of teams that are quote-unquote all-in, it's a very formulaic model because there's only so many ways you can upgrade your team. You spend all your money, then you spend all your draft picks for win-now players, then you trade one of your best players to try and upgrade for a short-term, last-ditch effort. The Milwaukee Bucks are officially on that last-ditch effort if they want to win a championship. And I'm not saying that Giannis can't win a championship for the next five years. Giannis just needs a lot more support than what the Milwaukee Bucks are able to offer. 
because the Milwaukee Bucks can only now trade if I know if I remember correctly, they can only trade 2028 first round picks from this point forward. The Milwaukee Bucks don't have the recourse to upgrade the roster. Their best player is 34 years old and is coming off of wrist surgery that kept him out six months. And their second best player behind Giannis, which I guess is now Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday finds himself in a position where he is making $40 million a year. He's going to be a long-term option for the Bucks, And they don't really have a recourse to upgrade from Drew Holiday. Maybe they have recourse to upgrade from Chris Middleton, but it's just not really feasible at this stage of the game for Milwaukee. By the way, I'm looking at their future draft picks. So they owe their 2023 pick to the Rockets as part of the P.J. Tucker trade. Another all-in move that they went for. That's giving up all your draft picks. So they traded their pick this year for P.J. Tucker. 2024's pick is a pick swap with the Pelicans, so they can't trade that one. 2025 is a pick straight to the Pelicans. 2026 is a pick swap with the Pelicans. 2027, the pick goes straight to the Pelicans. 2028, they have their own pick. 2029, they have their own pick. So they can only trade a 2029 pick or do pick swaps right now. So where the Milwaukee Bucks currently stand is we don't have the trade value to actually make an impactful move. We have to flip Chris Middleton or we flip Drew Holiday for a player better than Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday or we stand pat and don't compete for championships. Because we don't have the ability to surround Giannis with a roster capable of winning the Eastern Conference. We can surround him with a roster capable of competing in the Eastern Conference. We can get to the second round. We can't win a championship with the roster that we have presently constructed. It's one of the themes of the book that we refers Dynasty, which is there is a very fine line between very good and great. Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, when they were the two best players on the Spurs, the Spurs had the fifth best record over a five-year run in the entire NBA. And they didn't win a championship. They never made it to the NBA Finals, and they only made the Conference Finals once. That's very good. The Toronto Raptors, for four seasons, won more playoff series than their entire franchise history prior, between 2016 and 2018. They won more playoff series in three years than their entire 20 years before that. They're very good. They were never going to be championship good as long as DeRozan was the best player on their team. And so they got Kawhi Leonard and won a championship as an all-in move. The Houston Rockets went all-in. And while they could, they got closer to winning a championship than any team of the last 15 years that didn't win a championship, they were close. And they still went all-in again. The Milwaukee Bucks window is closed. The only thing that keeps the window open is Giannis Antetokounmpo, and as great as Giannis Antetokounmpo is, he is no longer the definitive best player in the NBA. There are a, he, he is a generational superstar, but the generations are bleeding together at this point. You have Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid, who have been... The four or the three best players and Anthony Davis in this mix, too. You have those players who have been the best in the NBA for four to five years. Their primes are closing. Jason Tatum represents the tweener of a generation that will then lead to Luca, Zion, Ja, Anthony Edwards winning the MVPs and being the best player in the sport. The Bucs are still a very good team. They just have no recourse to upgrade their roster. And clearly, the last two years have shown... I mean, last maybe they win the championship last year if Chris Middleton was healthy in that Boston series. Maybe their best chance to win was ruined because Chris Middleton got hurt in the Boston series last year. Their best chance to win a championship with Giannis has passed them by. It's not Giannis's best chance to win a championship... Giannis could go play with Kevin Durant. Giannis could go play with Steph Curry. Giannis could go play with one of these players who will keep him young, the same way Anthony Davis is keeping LeBron James young and adding a fourth championship, the way that Devin Booker is keeping Kevin Durant young and might add a third championship. Giannis can go play with one of these young superstars. The Bucks have no recourse to acquire one of those young superstars. 
And so where they where they stand right now is we have the same group of the last five years with no recourse to improve or make meaningful improvements, like improvements that will move the needle past Miami, past Boston, past Philadelphia. We have no recourse to put ourselves over the top, and we can only hope that Giannis just goes supernova and wins us a championship, which is not a terrible strategy. You're just not doing your best to support Giannis. And in fairness, they've done all of the all-in moves. They've spent all their money. Unless they want to go spend deep into the luxury tax and break the mold and take financial losses to support Giannis, which they have not been inclined to do so up to this point, unless they break the mold, if they're just going to play by the rules of the NBA, they are going to withdraw into, not mediocrity, but they're going to withdraw into very good. Instead of great, instead of championship great, they're going to withdraw down a tier into the very good. As Philadelphia surpasses them, as Denver surpasses them, as Boston and as Miami surpass them, they will fall into the tier of very good. And we've seen it the last two years, which is lose in the second round to Boston, a team that eventually went on to the championship, and then lose in the first round. They have to reinvent themselves if they want to give themselves the best chance at winning the championship. Because the alternative is just let Giannis keep going supernova, and that's how we're going to win a championship. There are players as good as Giannis that are better supported. Denver is a team with an equally good player that is currently as good at supporting their star when we talk about... And they haven't done a great job at all. They they did a poor job the last two seasons in part because Jamal Murray tore his ACL. But Denver... Has supported Michael has supported Jokic as well as the Bucks have supported Giannis. Both teams have maybe a second fringe All Star in Chris Middleton and Jamal Murray. Aaron Gordon kind of feels like what Brooke Lopez brings to the table. Michael Porter Jr. kind of maybe I like the point. The point being like Denver has a player as good as Giannis with equal supporting cast. The 76ers have a player as good as Giannis with maybe a better supporting cast. James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Tobias Harris sounds like a better supporting cast than what the Bucks have provided for Giannis, at least going forward. I don't know if James Harden's going to be there long term, but at least going forward, that feels like a better supporting cast. And so Milwaukee's kind of in the space where they have no recourse for improvement, and... Giannis's physical prime is closing and Giannis is going to stay in Milwaukee because that's what Giannis wants. And that puts the pressure on the organization to support him and continuously be great. And unless they get the life raft from Kevin Durant, like the Warriors got, or the life raft from a star player joining the Milwaukee Bucks, they're going to have to go through some reinvention if they're going to support Giannis with a championship caliber team. And that reinvention might mean trading Chris Middleton. Because Chris Middleton's contract is up. Brooke Lopez's contract is up. Wes Matthews' contract is up. They got to reinvent themselves like like this offseason. Because Brooke Lopez, are they just going to spend a bunch of money to bring back Brooke Lopez? Are they going to spend a bunch of money to bring back Chris Middleton? Are they going to spend a bunch of money to bring back... I mean, they don't have to spend too much to bring back Wes Matthews. But the point being, like... Are they just going to run it back with the same team or are they going to reinvent themselves and try and build a stronger supporting cast around Giannis? Which might include trading the 2029 first round pick, which might include trading second round picks, trading, I don't know, Grayson Allen. I don't know what the supporting cast situation Like, they've done all the all-in moves. They've traded DiVincenzo. They've traded all these players. They have to reinvent themselves if they're going to be championship caliber good. And I don't think they're going to do that i think they're kind of going to run it back with the same team and they're going to fall down a tier from very good to guys have aged and are from from being championship caliber great two years ago and probably even a year ago to now we're going to take a step down to just kind of being in the pack with boston with philly with miami with the knicks We're just going to kind of be in the group. We're not going to be the one seed. We're not going to be the two seed. We're just going to kind of be in the group. And that feels like where Milwaukee is headed over the next coming seasons. 
after this giant disappointment because the physical primes of basketball players aren't designed to last long enough for you to keep the same core together for five seasons. It just doesn't work that way. Keep the core together for five seasons and continue to be relevant is the code, I should say. No matter how great a player Giannis is, no matter how great a player Shaq was, even how great a player Jimmy Butler was. We talked about him earlier. Like The structures and the physical toll that basketball takes is not designed for you to last five years with the same group of players and still continue to be championship caliber good. Unless you have two generational stars and no one else has more than one like the Warriors had or you're willing to break the mold like Golden State did because you drafted three Hall of Famers and are willing to spend $100 million more than the next closest team. Like, if you're going to play by the standard structures of the NBA, if you're not going to be extraordinary, if you're going to be a team that fell ass backwards into a generational star like Giannis, you never drafted another Hall of Famer, you never drafted... I mean, you drafted Chris Middleton as an all-star, so I should say you drafted one other all-star, you had to trade all your draft picks to get a third all-star, and you've used your all-in move... You've used your draft picks around the corners to trade for guys like you just... This is the core of your team. They're not going to reinvent themselves, and this is the team that the Bucks have, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they reinvent themselves over the offseason this year and headed into the roster construction getting set for next year's championship run. When we get to the playoffs next year, will it be the same four players? Chris Middleton, or say five, same five players. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, and Grayson Allen around Giannis Antetokounmpo. Because the NBA structures are not designed for you to be able to continue to be at the top of the sport and continue running it back with the same team. Those guys just get older. Younger people come for the throne. It's it's just how the aging process works. And Giannis is still going to be in his physical prime for at least one more season. Maybe the physical decline starts to begin a year after and he can't just will them to a championship. We'll see what ends up happening as they reinvent themselves going into next season. Because I imagine reinvention is on front of mind for the Milwaukee Bucks. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, with a plethora of guests joining us all throughout this week. I appreciate each and every one of you for your continued support, and we look forward to talking to you later this week. Leave a five-star review, download. All of your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. Maybe you even want to buy our book. It's available now wherever books are sold. There's links in the description to this episode for all of that. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, and in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.